0: Right, good morning, familia. Could you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 43 to 51. If you're wondering why is it that I'm asking you, asking you to do this, is this is simply how we show reverence to God and His Word. John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. If you're with me, could you please say amen? The next day, Jesus decided to live for Galilee... Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told them, we had found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, "'Come and see,' said Philip. "'When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, "'Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit.' "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Jesus answered, "'I saw you while you were still under the fig tree "'before Philip called you.'" Verse 49. "'Then Nathanael declared, "'Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel,' "'Jesus said,' You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Verse 51. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending and the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Today, we are starting a a four-part series called, What Would You Ask Jesus? And we are looking into four different conversations Jesus had with four different types of people. And in each of these conversations, Jesus is answering a question. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I have a ton of questions about Christianity. And the reason I'm saying that is because if I'm a pastor and I've been and I do this professionally, if I have questions, I want to assume that everyone here is here has questions. So just by show of hand, how many of you guys have questions about Christianity? Please raise your hand. Is there anyone here who has all the answers? Because you shouldn't be here then. Actually, I would say I have been a Christian for 22 years and To be completely honest, the more I read the Bible and the more I understand the Bible, the more questions I have. And asking questions and searching for answers is a good thing. To not ask questions and to not keep on searching is not a good thing. So today we're learning from a person in the Bible that had a lot of questions. And his name was Nathaniel, and the way I call Nathaniel is Nathaniel the skeptic. Um, the reason why I call him like that is because the word skeptic or skepticism has, you could say, two different definitions. One is a negative one, and the other one is a positive one. The negative skeptic is the one that doubts everything, questions everything, But he's not really interested in finding the truth about anything. And the reason why he's not interested about that is because deep down inside, he's convinced that no one has the truth. Which that's ironic because the moment this person says that no one has the truth, that's his truth. So that doesn't work. The negative skepticism does not work. On the other hand, there is what we call the positive skeptic which is someone that has a lot of questions, but is interested in finding answers. I would say that Nathaniel was was this kind of a skeptic. He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of questions about Jesus. He had a lot of questions about faith. He had a lot of questions about Christianity, and he had a lot of questions about everything that was spiritual. The difference, though, is that Nathaniel wanted to look for answers. He was searching for answers. So the question I'm asking Nathaniel today is this. How did you deal with your questions? And the question I'm asking you today is, how do you deal with your questions? And I believe that the answer is behind the phrase, come and see. And this is the three things that we're going to learn today from that phrase, is that come and see means come and reason. Come and see means come and change. And come and see means come and wonder. Come and see. Allow me to pray for a second. Lord Jesus, as we dive into your scripture today, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you illuminate our minds, and you allow us to understand, and you allow us to see, and you allow us to comprehend what this beautiful phrase means. Come and see to the point that not only we pray for this, but that we apply it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, All right, let's go with the first point. Come see means come and reason. Um, so l- let me give you a little bit of the context of the narrative. I always think that that's important. Uh, this happened right after Jesus is calling his first disciples. And if you know anything about the story there, you, you might remember that John the Baptist was preaching to a bunch of different people about Jesus. One of his followers was Andrew. And because of what John the Baptist said, Andrew becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, Andrew went and told his brother Peter about Jesus. And because what Peter heard about Jesus, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And what we see here in verse 43 is that Jesus goes looking for Philip, and Philip also believes in Jesus, so he becomes a follower of Jesus. And Philip is doing exactly the same thing that John the Baptist did, that Andrew did, and that Peter did. He went and told other people about Jesus. I want you to see for a second there that the Christian movement was not about big concerts, and it was not about evangelistic events. And it was not about big experiences. The Christian movement started with people telling other people about Jesus. Really simple. So what we see here in verse 45 is that Philip goes to speak to Nathanael. He says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is basically what Philip is, saying, is, is uh, saying to Nathaniel: We found the Messiah, the one the Holy Scriptures talked about, the promised one, the one that will bring freedom. Now, Nathaniel's response is really interesting because he says in verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, this probably doesn't make any sense to a lot of us, but if you were living at that time and in that context, you would understand why is it that this guy is saying this. Because Nazareth was considered to be one of those maybe uh, like a second-hand place, like a second-class place. This was the place where the broken people lived, where the limited people lived, where the not-so-worthy people lived. It doesn't matter where you come from. There's always a town in which that you believe that that's the kind of people that live in that town. What is interesting here is that the word Nazareth literally means this, a useless pile of twigs. I mean, if people talk like that about Colombia, believe me, I will be offended. But from a human perspective, Nathaniel is right. He's actually right in being skeptical about Jesus because he comes from this place, from a human perspective. these These are skeptical questions coming from an skeptical guy, and it is understandable. But I want you to notice Philip's response. He says something as simple as come and see." He's not saying, uh, listen, you don't, you don't have to believe. It. Basically, he's saying this. You don't have to believe me. That's fine. Um, you don't have to believe what I'm saying. That's fine. We're, I'm not about to argue with you about anything here. We're not going to have a theological conversation here. Just, just come and see. Now, the interesting thing, though, about this phrase is that the word see here... Um, in the original is the word Adon. And I'm not trying to impress you. Is that I think, it, I think that it's important that you understand that word there for a second. Because this word can also be translated as come and know. Or come and observe. Or come and think. Therefore, this is the reason why I say Philip tells Nathaniel, come and reason. Come and reason. This is crazy to me. Because he's not inviting Nathaniel to come and see Jesus' miracles as good as they were. He's not calling Nathaniel to come and see Jesus' power as good as that is. He's not coming, calling Nathaniel to come and see Jesus' supernatural things, even though that's all great. He's not calling Nathaniel to say, come and experience something as good as that is. No, the invitation is really simple. Come and think, come and reason, come and use your head. Now, we know from the text that Nathaniel was a thinker by nature. And I know that because there's different hints in the text that shows you that Nathaniel was a thinker by nature. We can see one of those hints in verse 45. When Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, We had found the one Moses wrote about. This phrase right here, found, according to some scholars, means that Nathaniel and Philip had plenty of conversation about the promised Messiah before. That's a hint in the text. We have another hint in verse 47. Jesus is approaching Nathaniel and he says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Now, the word deceit there, literally means someone that likes to examine things or study things nathaniel is a thinker now we have another example in verse 48 this is jesus once again and says i saw you while you were still under the fig tree before philip called you now if you know anything about the old testament most scholars would agree on saying that when people sat under a fig tree it was because they wanted to spend some time praying meditating meditating and studying so apparently what's happening here is that nathaniel was pondering about these things he was thinking about these things he was meditating about these things he was reasoning about these things and jesus comes to meet him right on the spot now the question for us today is this why is this so important Why coming to think and coming to reason is so important? At the end of the answer is really simple. Because the Christian faith is about faith. It's about believing. But the Christian faith is a thinking faith. The Christian faith is a reasoning faith. The Christian faith is an informed faith. Come and see. Come and reason. So I struggle a lot when people say, well, I really don't want to think about anything. I just want to believe. I always got to ask the question, believe about what? Come and think. Think. You know what's interesting about this? That when you, read, when you search the scriptures, you see that God invites you to ask questions. You see that God invites you to reason with him. You see that God welcomes people that are asking questions. And I think that there are two extremes when it comes to Faith. There are two views that are extremes when it comes to faith. On one end, we have the view that says that the reason why people live by faith or have faith is because they're not thinking hard enough. That's what atheists would say about Christians, by the way. They would say that the reason why you are a Christian, if you are a believer, is because you're not thinking hard enough. But that is not what the Bible says. What the Bible shows you is that we have all the reasons in the world and why we believe the things that we believe. I was uh, recently recently listening to a conversation between an atheist and a Christian. And the atheist is saying to the Christian that there is one main reason. He's got a bunch of reasons, but he says that there is one main reason why he doesn't believe in the Bible and he doesn't believe in God. And he says that because there are discrepancies between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And he uses this example to explain his point. He says, for example, I don't understand why is it that the New Testament talks about marriage between one man and one woman. And when you go to the Old Testament, you find that there is one man married to a lot of women and God never says anything. That's a discrepancy, he says. How can I trust a book that has discrepancies like that? And the Christian guy, really humble really patient he says well i i really don't think that you're reading the bible right he says because if you read the bible from beginning to end you will see first that in genesis 2 is when we see the model of for marriage between one man and one woman but if you keep on reading you go to genesis chapter 3 and you see when sin enters the world and how everything went wrong And it is after Genesis chapter 3 that you see a man with multiple relationships. You see a man married to multiple wives. But if you read it well, he says, and if you pay attention to the scripture well, you will realize that every single one of those relationships were miserable. Miserable relationships. Therefore, if you read it well, you realize that that was never God's idea. He's showing us the record of what not to do. Now, I was thinking about this, and listen, I think that marriage is the most beautiful thing there is, but it's also the most complicated thing there is. How many of you guys are married? Please raise your hand. How many of you guys are planning to get married? Listen up, people. (laughs) Marriage is beautiful, but it's complicated. If it's complicated with one wife alone, (laughs) this explains why this idea of marrying different people is not a good idea. (laughs) And he says, all you have to do is reason with the Bible, think, and you will find answers. Come and think, come and reason. Now, the other view, that's the atheist view, the extreme one, right? The other view I call the traditional view, in which, you know, sadly, this is what many Christians would say, the having faith means that you don't question anything, The having faith means that you believe without questioning. And I would say that to a certain degree that is true. If they mean that when you don't question anything is that you understand that you're not going to get all the answers. That's part of what it means to have faith. You might not get all your answers. Where I disagree, though, is that the Bible gives you enough information for you to make an intelligent decision to follow Jesus. An intelligent decision to trust the Lord. An intelligent decision to surrender to his will. Let me give you an example here. One of the most complicated things to explain to people and to all of us is the concept of suffering. Right? So some people would say, why would God allow suffering? Why would God bring suffering? And the most, the most typical questions when it comes to this is this. "Is If God is good, why is it that he's allowing this? Or if God is powerful, why, why is it that he doesn't stop it? Those are the two questions always. Now, I I, want to give you the most uh, honest and theological question answer I could give you. I don't know. Really, I, I have an idea. The Bible gives me enough information to have an idea why is it that God brings or allows suffering. But I really don't know. I mean, we can speculate and have ideas, but we really don't know. But this I know. But the Bible is abundantly clear that God is good. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is a God of compassion, that he's powerful, that he's steadfast, that he's a God of steadfast love, that he's committed to his people, that he cares for the afflicted, that he's very present in times of trouble, that he never walks away from his people. That's abundantly clear in all the Scripture. So today, I might not understand why God allows or brings suffering. But I do understand that whatever He allows or brings into my life is not because He's evil. And He's not because He doesn't care. And He's not because He doesn't love me. And He's not because He is not good. And He's not because He is not powerful. I don't have to have all the answers. But the ones I have are enough for me to trust them. Think. Reason. This is the reason why Martin Lloyd-Jones, when talked about Christianity, he called it, I love this phrase, logic and fire. Logic and fire. John Piper in his book Think, he says this. The main reason why God has given us minds is that we might seek out and find all the reasons that exist for treasuring him in all things and above all things. Listen, if you know me for a while, you know that I'm all about feelings. I know you could tell. I'm all for supernatural experiences. The Holy Spirit is still doing amazing things. I'm all for God doing amazing things that I cannot explain. But my conviction is that unless we learn how to think and we learn how to reason with the Bible and we learn how to wrestle with the Bible, those things will not be enough when things get complicated. Because you won't feel good. And you might not be able to see the supernatural things that you want and you might not have the experience you need what you have is what the bible says about god and how that affects your thinking and influences your heart to the point that affects your will think now what is interesting about nathaniel is that we don't know what happened we don't know how is it that he reasoned all of this. We, we don't know what it is that he was thinking about. And scholars have different opinions about what happened there. All we know is that as he went through this process, something changed not only in his mind but in his heart. And we know that because in verse 49 he says, well, you truly are the son of God, the king of Israel. Notice here, you truly are the son of God and the king of Israel. Got questions? Good. Got many questions? Good. Think. Reason. Wrestle with the Bible. And the Holy Spirit eventually, sooner or later, will illuminate your mind. And even if you don't get your answers, you will still experience peace. Come and see common reason. Now the second point here and the second definition for common see is actually common change. And I think this is important because Christianity is not just about having a lot of information in your head. Christianity is not about just gaining a lot of information and knowing a lot of Bible. Christianity is about allowing that information and that knowledge to change your heart. And the reason why I'm saying that is because that's exactly what Jesus said in verse 50. Look at what he says. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. What is interesting here though is that this word see is a different one than the one we saw before. This is the word horao and the reason why I'm saying that that's that different word because this word right here is talking about a changing experience. One is to reason, and the other one is to allow this reasoning to change your heart. Every thinking encounter, every reasoning encounter we have with the living God of the Bible changes you. It either makes you soft or it makes you hard, but you never stay the same. You know, sometimes I worry, especially for, for those that are, keep coming to church and keep hearing and learning that are not doing anything about it. Because every reasoning encounter we have, you have with the living God of the Bible changes you. Either it makes you soft or it hardens your heart. So when I was living in Colombia, I met this man that was, adri- uh, that was addicted to marijuana. And uh, he was describing to me his, uh, his Christian conversion. And he says that he was so desperate uh, to smoke marijuana, he, he didn't have the papers anymore, the little thin papers they use, right? And he was so desperate that the only thing that he could find was a Bible. And if you know, you know, good Bibles usually have a really thin paper. And he grabbed that paper, and as he's putting together his little joint... He made the worst mistake of his life. He read. And with one verse, he became a Christian. One verse. Every encounter we have with the living God of the Bible changes you. Either he makes you soft or he hardens your heart. So the question for you today is this. How do you know that you are being softened by the word of God? That's a good question. Thank you. How do you know that you're being changed by the word of God? I'm so glad that you're asking that question. This is how you know. Very simple. When the word of God, Jesus' words, become authority to you. When they become the authority you need. When the word of God is not just about suggestions or good ideas, but they become authority. And that's exactly what Jesus told Nathaniel, And this is exactly what Jesus wanted Nathaniel to understand right after his conversion. In verse 51, he uses a phrase that means exactly that. He says, very truly I tell you. Some English translations uh, put that as, amen amen or truly i or truly truly and the reason why they translate it that way is because when jesus says this he's saying something like what what i say jesus says is god's word it is divine word therefore treated as god's word when jesus uses this little sentence very truly amen amen truly truly He's saying, you don't get to create your own religion, people. He's saying, you don't get to see me the way you want to see me. He's saying, you don't get to imagine me however you want me to be. I am what the Bible says I am. And you do what the Bible says you do. It's all authority. It is the word of God. Actually, if you think about it. That is the meaning of the word, follow me. Isn't that what Jesus told Philip when he converted? Follow me. Interesting enough, because every single one of Jesus' disciples heard this word, heard this phrase. And the word, follow me, can be translated as deny yourself, give yourself up, obey me. I am the ultimate authority, I am the king, I am the Lord. That's why we need to make a distinction between agreeing with God and obeying God. You could agree with God all you want, but if you are not submitting to him, that's just a suggestion. Let me put it this way. If you think that you you have a relationship with God, if you see Jesus as your Savior and your brother. But if you don't see him as your king, and the ruler, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So if you think that you have a relationship with Jesus, and he never crosses your will. If you think that you have a relationship with Jesus, and he never contradicts you. If you think that you have a relationship with Jesus, and he never asks you to do something that you don't want to do, you don't have a relationship with him. You're not thinking hard enough. You have a Jesus that is the product of your own imagination. And that's a very dangerous place to be. A few years ago, I was watching this movie. It's a comedy movie. I'm not going to say the name because I might get fired. But <laughs> in this movie, the, the guy, the, the, the character, is praying to baby Jesus. Jesus. And someone is asking, why are you asking, why are you praying to baby Jesus? Baby Jesus is already a grown man. And he says, I like the baby version the best. I think that sometimes many of us do the same thing. We have our version of the kind of Jesus we want. And Jesus says, you don't get to do that. You take me just as I am, or you cannot take me. C.S. Lewis once wrote about this and said, said, "To to say, Jesus come into my life, forgive my sins, answer my prayers, do this for me, do that for me. But if you don't say to him, you are the absolute master of my life, it's simply impossible. He later on says that there's a tendency among many people to see Jesus as our personal assistant. You know what that means, right? That we reach out to him only when he's needed. For the last few months, um, and this is all over social media, Christians and non-Christians are going back and forth talking about the rapper Kenya West. Now, if you don't know who Kanye West is, that's because you don't have social media. But everyone is having doubts whether or not this guy converted, especially because he got this brand new album that is called "Jesus Is King." Um, so listen, I don't really know if the guy's a Christian or not. I, I really don't know. I hope he is. Uh, I think that time time would tell. because this is all over the place i wanted to hear what is the big thing about this thing because every time a celebrity converts like everyone goes crazy the salvation of the world but but i want to hear what the guy is writing so i'm listening to some of his songs and i found one that says i follow jesus oh he says he's calling the people say follow jesus listen and obey no more living for the culture we're nobody's slave "Mm, that's good I bow, he says, I bow down to the king upon the throne. And this sentence is amazing. My life is his. I am no longer my own. Once again, I really don't know if the guy's a Christian. I hope he is. But he got that one right. If I claim to be a believer, my life is not mine. I belong to him he's king, He is lord, he's master. I submit to him. See, come and see means come and reason. And the harder you reason, the more you realize is that he is who he says he is. Come and change. And lastly, come and see means come and wonder. And for, this, for, for me, this one is really important because as good as everything that I just said is, because I think it was really good, people don't change by just learning from a Scripture. And people don't change permanently by simply obeying. People change when you see in every page of a Scripture, Jesus. Jesus. The one Moses talked about, the one the prophets talked about. And I think that this is what Jesus has in mind when he calls himself the son of men. And and if you notice, right in verse 51, he calls himself like this because there's a reason. And I'm not going to explain the entire context of this, but I think that there's a reason why he's very specific. By the way, that was his uh, his favorite way to call himself the son of men. Now, scholars have different opinions on why he said that Jesus calls himself like that. Um, some people say that it's because, you know, he's the promised Messiah. and He's got all that stuff. Some other uh, scholars are saying that the concept of the son of man is almost like a summary of everything that he, he is and everything that he has done. I lean toward that group. And the reason why I'm saying that when Jesus calls himself the son of man... It's for people to understand and believe that he's everything he says he is and that everything that he did was for, our, was, was for our heart, was for our needs. Now, this is interesting, really quick. John chapter 1 has 11 different names for Jesus. That's crazy. One chapter, 11 different names for Jesus so in verse number one jesus is called the word meaning that the holy scripture scripture is about him and it is through him that god speaks in the same verse he's called god meaning that he's the second person of the trinity in verse 9 he's called the light he is the only way out of darkness in verse 17 he's called jesus which is another name for the messiah in the same verse he's called christ the anointed one In verse 21, he's called the Lamb of God. He's the one that came to redeem. He's the one that came to rescue. He's the one that came to take our place. He's the one that came to die for the consequences of our sin. In verse 38, he's called rabbi, meaning that he's the great teacher, the ultimate teacher. It is in his words that we find life. In verse 41, he's called the Messiah, the one that came to deliver and the one that came to give freedom. In verse 49, he's called the son of God. That means that he's unique and he's divine. And in verse 49, he's called the king of Israel. He's authority, he's all-powerful, and he reigns. And lastly, in verse 51, he's called this, the son of man. Meaning that he's the link between heaven and earth. That he is the presence of God. That if we want to meet God, we got to meet him that he's everything the Bible says he is, and that he's everything we need. And the reason why Jesus makes this so clear to us is because he knows that unless we find it magnificent and beautiful and perfect and sufficient, not even the Bible is enough. You gotta see him here and that's what changes you so you got questions good think reason wrestle with the bible submit to it and the more you do that the more you will see how beautiful and perfect and satisfying and powerful and wonderful Jesus is do you have that You need that. Know Him. Know Him for real. Amen? Can we pray? Lord, we are so grateful. We are grateful, Lord, for the ability that You're giving us to think and reason. We are grateful, Lord, because that's an evidence of your grace. We are grateful, Lord, because we don't have to speculate or think or assume or guess how you are, who you are, or anything about you. We have everything we need in Scripture. Please, Lord, make of us thinkers, people that wrestle with your word. Please, Lord, give us the ability and the desire to submit our will, our will to you and be changed by what you say. But more than that, Lord, work in us in such a way that as we read a Scripture and as we reason and as we think, we see in every page of a Scripture our beautiful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Word of God. The Redeemer, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Light, the Lamb of God, the Rabbi, the Son of God, the King of Israel, and the Son of Man. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. And we all say,